the most wonderful thing about... You are listening to the Punk Theology Podcast, Season 2, Episode 14, The Halloween Season. Haunted houses, unfinished business. Why are these themes of horror? What if it's a metaphor for life? On the positive side, we like to talk about our inner child. That joyful little kid that lives in all of us that just wants to play have fun. Uh, why, why is that a thing? What if it's because the adult us killed them? He or she has suffered the blunt force trauma of paying bills, politics, taxes, traffic, uh, bashed to the head. Little monsters. PunkTheology.com is the website for this here podcast. Check out our Patreon page. Become like Carlton and Steve. Patreon Sinner Saints to the uh, Punk Theology. Almost 20 years ago, went someplace you shouldn't go. Um, and that's sort of a that's sort of a good segue into talking about uh, the last show was on grief, and before that, the God of Nice, and, and this is sort of where we get sort of the Halloweeny time of year. And I think there's something in existential philosophy that that is sweet to the sense that um, if we ignore the darkness, like we talked about in the God of Nice episode, um, what if we just talked about? Uh, Kind of what what you're going through, Derek. We're we're going into the dark season here in the Seattle area where it stops. It starts to rain for nine months, <laughs> even yeah. though it's been gorgeous outside recently. Yeah, it's it been, been really beautiful. nice lately. Yeah. Most Seattle people don't really know what to do with it. Like, yeah, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be terrible raining. right now. Give me my goddamn rain. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of existential philosophy, is it weird that rain feels like a warm blanket now that I've been here? No, it feels the same way for me too. Okay, I mean it. Come February, it starts feeling like a suffocating blanket, but in October, it definitely feels... February? You make it till February? <laughs> yeah. I'm usually <laughs> January, January, a couple yeah. weeks after Christmas. We were supposed to be in Vegas this weekend, but that never happened. No. <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, so I started EMDR on Monday. Yay! Yeah, and I'm thinking in retrospect, maybe Monday's the worst day. Did, Did you go back to work out? Huh? Oh, yeah. dude, that's insane. <laughs> that yeah. is the worst day. And I've had a <coughs> interesting week since then. So, John, quickly explain for listeners if, who don't know what EMDR is. You have a good explanation of what Do it is. I, Just I, to explain. I thought Derek's explanation is better than mine because he understands the inner workings of it. He has, he has a family member who's a practitioner, but it's, it's a bilateral stimulation, either tactile, audio, eyes, but... 
Um, I hold buzzers. Yeah, buzzers is the tactile, and yeah, through, through the bilateral simulation, you're able to go into memories or to beliefs and, and process them and reprocess them, and it sort of has a way of unearthing things in the in the subconscious that are maybe held or undealt with, and it brings them to the surface, and you're able to face the memories or the beliefs or whatever it is that's troubling. Or the darkness. The darkness. <laughs> and so the, so the bilateral simulation brings you to an element of like exposure but it does so in a way within this window of tolerance where it's not re-traumatizing you um it's just enough of a stressor where you're feeling what you need to feel and you're engaging what you need to engage in this this safe sort of window of tolerance to expose yourself to it and to deal with it watching a trauma is like a movie Yes. Kind of like a yeah. third party sort of. Correct. Instead of like maybe like immersing yourself in it, you're you're kind of you have some distance from it. So that's that's the earlier stages is in the reprocessing, and then the later stage is integrating new or healthier beliefs or ideas that you would like to replace that trauma or that memory right. or that difficulty. Reprocess. Reprocess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Process. Reprocess. The basic idea is that your frontal lobe or your ego yeah. is too guarding. Yeah, uh, and so it doesn't let you actually deal with the shit you're dealing with. So if your ego is a guard dog, this is a bone that you throw to the guard yeah. dog <laughs> to keep it busy, while you kind of sneak around back and deal with the stuff you. You go into limbic with. memory. Is, yeah, yeah, is what it is. So this is really subconscious primordial shit. It's interesting. So uh, as Arthur cracks open a, a chocolate stout, and we're missing Chuck and Steve. Yes. Anyway, Steve, we're gone. Uh, so I, I'm the fourth person to try this in the group. John pioneered it. Russ has been doing it on and off. Chuck tried it once, but his associations were so strong that it didn't. We well, did it more than once. Oh right? yeah, he did try it a couple of times, but it just didn't disassociate. He got fired by his therapist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so this is my first foray into it. I have, I have actually, I didn't find this out until I, until John started talking about it more, and I was talking to my sister about it. Uh, my grandma. Uh, started doing this in the it was either early 80s or late 70s and she was like one of the very first people she was down in San Francisco and uh, happened to stumble upon this workshop and she was the only one that was there that was a therapist and wasn't a doctor uh, and she did it for she did it on her patients for 30 years or something that's like awesome that. so, um, but Can yeah we on the show what can we get her on the show? My grandma? Yeah. She died. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> Unless we do a seance. <laughs> we I'm can't. down. Bring her back. It is Halloween time. We can't get my sister on the show, though. She really wants to come and do a show. That'd be fun. That'd be great. Yeah, she would be really good. And she could... She could psychoanalyze all of us. Right. <laughs> I just want to hold her buzzers the whole show and see what happens. That sounds super inappropriate. Yeah, you just... <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know about you guys, but I, I cry a lot. Like, the whole thing is basically, like, just a dump of, like... Yeah, a lot of that stuff happens yeah, in the VR. You have to be willing to let go. So I went in... My I knew this was going to be a problem way before I went in. My problem was expectation. I knew mm. that was going to be an issue because yeah. I had so much expectation from John and kind of an anticipation of and Russ and everybody else who's done it and an expectation that I kind of knew what was going to happen. And sure enough, that kind of bit me in the ass. Um, so first, so we had a meeting one week before we did this meeting on Monday and just kind of talked about the premise of it. And she 
had originally thought maybe we would go slower, but she thought I was ready to just dive right in, so we dove right in. So nice. She had me picture a room, and then she had me picture a screen in the room, and um, I'd had a previous I don't know vision encounter or something like if whatever you want to call it experience with, experience with um, with a little kid that I had encountered that was like. Like a kind of a feral, wild little kid in your head, in my head. Yes, yeah. this yeah. is not. Yes, this is a, like I said, a vision or an encounter. Yeah, right. Um, this is during the process, right? And so, and so I had had that previous to my EMDR, so I brought that up with her, and she decided that was a good place to start. So she asked me to to picture or to see the screen in my head and to picture the little kid on the screen. And we sat there for a while, and I had the buzzers in my hands, and I started to get really frustrated because I couldn't get it to work like I wanted it to mm-hmm. work. Uh, I couldn't picture the screen and the little kid. I kept picturing his feet, which were dirty and grungy and and streaked, like streaked with mud and that type of thing, but I couldn't get anything more than his feet. Uh, and I went... And, uh, and I started to get really frustrated, and in my head, I wanted to get the fuck over here. And then, poof, the screen disappeared. Like, there was no screen anymore, and he was just there right in front of me. And he had this, like, really funny smirk smirk on his face. Like, I got you all pissed off. Uh, Like, fuck mm. you. And he was, like, in this... Totally as little you. Right. (laughs) He was in this mock, like, military stand-up attention pose of, like, oh, yes, sir. Like, here I am. Kind of mocking. Right, yeah. Very, yeah, like, fake sloppy salute type of shit. (laughs) Um, right, like American Idiot yeah. Green Day. And I immediately <laughs> felt like, oh, fuck, like I'm an asshole. Like everything that he intended me to feel immediately washed I love your me. subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> You're id. <laughs> yeah, he's a little smarter than me. Uh, uh, so, right. Uh, so, and then we, we just kind of stared at each other for a while, and then he got a lot, a bit softer. Um, and then I just started saying, I love you, and I'm sorry I broke you. Mm. And I said that a bunch of times. Did and you mean it? Yes, and I genuinely meant it. Okay. And it was and it was good, and then I started to get a little teary. Yeah, yeah. How um, deeply did you feel that? Not as deeply as it got later. Okay, that makes sense. Deep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, did she ask you? But it felt really... You just kind of like that. Did she ask me to do what? To say that to him. No, that was just what felt... And it felt easy. It was easy to say that. I meant it genuinely. Did it feel like you and just it? Yeah, and it just flowed out. And it, and my encounter with him previously, I was left with a feeling of wanting to tell him that, but he ran away and I couldn't access him. So this was like a pent-up desire. Like, mm. like, like it just kind of spilled out. Like, I've been waiting for a couple of weeks to tell you that I love you, I'm sorry, I broke us. Mm. Um, and that just felt really nice. And then, so then I came up, she had me breathe. That was the crazy part about EMDR. Uh, I just didn't breathe. And she had to remind me over and over again. She'd bring me up and then, I'm, I'm assuming she's watching me and figuring yeah. out how long I can go before I need to breathe again. And then she brings me back up so I can breathe. And every time she says breathe, and I'm like, oh, fuck, like I haven't, you're right. <laughs> I haven't breathed. And what feels like a really long time. So then we'd breathe, and so then I went back in, and he was sitting next to me on a log that just appeared, and I put my arm around him, and we just kind of sat and looked out into the forest that was in front of us, and I said, I love you, I'm sorry I broke you, and we did that for a while longer, and then she pulled me out of that, and so then she said, okay, go back to your screen and look at what the kid looks like, 
So I went back and pulled up the screen. I still struggled to get that to get it to work. Uh, and then I, I saw his feet again. Hmm. Uh, and then I worked my way up his calves, and it changed into like a much more muscular calf. And then I looked up at him, and he went through puberty into I don't know eighteen nineteen. Uh, and he was really ugly, mm-hmm. like like cross between a Neanderthal and a werewolf, mm-hmm. just like super hairy, like face just like all distorted and extruded and sloped forehead and all that stuff. Uh, and he was like on a pedestal, frozen, spinning, like very slowly around on a pedestal, but his eyes could move. And he kept, and then so every time he came back around, his eyes would engage with mine, and he just looked like trapped and mm-hmm. scared and mm-hmm. frustrated. Like an avatar in a video game. Right, or like... Yeah, like... Like he was fucking tired of... Being what he was. Like he was very aware of the fact that he was ugly. Mm. And was just like, you know what, like... Is that true about how you felt about yourself around the similar time? Probably. Yeah. And I we haven't digested too much of that scene. The nice thing about my EMDR experience is... They all seem fairly obvious in terms of like it's, it's really on the nose. <laughs> yes, exactly. And actually, I brought that up. Like I started explaining it to her in my process, and I said, "Like I, I'm having trouble feeling like this isn't contrived because it feels so oh okay fucking obvious. Interesting. So that's what I'm doing. But like, like genuinely, that's what I was seeing. Sure. And she told me to just kind of run with like, it. You just run with it. Yeah. Uh, and then so then she pulled me back out again. Uh, I explained what I saw, and then she had me go back in. And then he was off the pedestal and he was next to me and I took my hand and I put it in his hand and had a moment of kind of revulsion, but then I just kind of leaned into it. And the outside of his hand was really hairy and just kind of gross, but the inside of his hand was like, you know, like a monkey's hand would be where it's smooth and human. So I curled up my hand and just kind of rested it on the inside of his hand and just kind of left it there. Um... And then it shifted, and he moved in front of me, so I was holding his hands kind of clasped end on end, and we just kind of looked at each other for a while, and then it turned into a mirror. Again, it sounds so fucking contrived. Uh, and and I was seeing him in the mirror, and then it was kind of like a layer of an image of myself overlaid an image of him, kind of moving back and forth, in and out. So he was the, this monster, and then he was me, and then he was this monster. I just kind of looked in his eyes, and we... And again, there was kind of a moment of like acceptance, like it's it's okay, like yeah, you're kind of revolting, but but it's okay, like like it really genuinely doesn't bother me, and I can accept you, and yeah. So then we pulled out of that, and then she had me go in one more time and look at the kid, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was a much easier to see him this time. The skin started with the feet and started to work up his calf, and he was this soft vulnerable mm. really weak little kid and I went fuck him I don't oh, want anything to do with him whoa and that was uh, what, uh, so that's uh, what ruined uh, the rest uh, of my week uh, uh, yeah, well. and that sounds contrived to you that's your fucking subconscious right dude. that's yeah. what it is <laughs> and that was what rocked me because I felt it so deep yeah it was like it was like like and part of me felt sick instantly. Oh, man. Like, like, that's disgusting. How could you think that about this poor, like, soft little kid? And it's and the response was, I don't know, but I fucking hate him, and there's nothing I can do to control that. Sorry. Yeah. Like, sorry, I just hate it him. It is what it is. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And so, so the rest of the week has been 
like that resting in that feeling of panic yeah. of like oh fuck like I hate myself so much and it, and it yeah. feels like it's not reconcilable like mm. right now where I'm at like it's like discouraging and like like the part of me that hates him just like is not interested in fixing that so what you I remember we we chatted about this a little bit and you talked about that you don't know how to get there and you don't know if it can be fixed mm-hmm. I think actually was your first statement what when you say I don't know if it could be fixed what do you think fixed looks like some type of reconciliation where I can look at him and not and it was like a shame it was so deep in shame yeah like I, mean, I don't want to hate you but I'm sorry I just really do can I like so but so getting that to the point where where I can at least I mean, first step would be just entertaining the idea that I can learn how to not hate you. What is the basis of that shame? Uh, all of the worst pain I've experienced in my life was when that little kid was driving. Uh, so are you, are you talking about, like, the little kid um, not being what you wanted to be when you were engaging other people at that age like not being the best or or the no, smartest or just being vulnerable. being vulnerable so I grew up in a culture where vulnerability was snuffed out instantly yeah. and brutally mm-hmm. and that yeah so a huge part of my childhood was me not being able to control my vulnerability and that vulnerable kid just popping out and instantly just getting so you realize like down. you're being really vulnerable right now right uh, so, so that's that's an interesting. Yeah. So topic he's that, an adult on his turn. That John has brought up because I'm okay being vulnerable if it's under my own terms and in a situation I feel like I can control. Right. But if if it just kind of happens and I don't have control of my emotions, like right now, I feel like I have very solid control over my emotions. But if I start to get emotional and start to break and I start to get. Uh, things start to happen and I see people's reactions and it's not positive but I can't do anything about it and I'm just making things worse like like nope can't not going to I would do anything rather than do that mm. wow <laughs> that resonates with me a lot um, in that I still very much have a hard I think of myself and I, and I, and I think you guys know this from experience like I can be very vulnerable with people um but I had a lot of similar childhood trauma, and that made it, that directed me down a path where I have always had very few close friends. Mm-hmm. And so I can be vulnerable to very few people. And like this group of being vulnerable in front of like six, you know, five other people is like a, kind of a big deal. Right. Like that's a lot more than ever. Every other like experience growing up, literally in my entire life, has been kind of like one-on-one type yeah. of yeah. thing. Same for me. And it, and it requires a lot of trust. Right. And I still think, yeah, like I have a lot of what you're talking about. I don't know if it's weighing me down the same way. I think I've somehow, maybe it's still fucked up, or maybe it's just I have peace with that that's all I really need. I don't know. But you sound more at odds with that. It's so it's a three party thing is the fucked up part Mm. because there's the vulnerable boy, there's the part of me that hates him, and then the parts that's like no 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 we can fix this like I really want to fix this. What part is that? I don't know. Yeah, it's so fucking weird. Like, 
What if it's yeah. not about fixing it all? Like, well, especially it's, like it's going, just the desire. It's like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's like, like raw desire. Yeah, like the like, engineer in you runs out. Yes, like we can solve box. this. And and oh like, fuck that part. And not if, the engineer part. <laughs> and it feels like things would be better if you two would get along. Like, well, it, is there a reparenting element to it where there's a nurturing yeah, sort of sure. thing happening? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that too. Like, and also just an ideal thing. Like, it's not that. Like, I like to think of myself in ideal terms. That's not fucking ideal. That's awful. Like, that's just, that is, there's nothing about I, uh, that that's nice. It's really gross. I had an EMDR process where I was working on some adolescent issues and memories, and there was, like, this awkward kind of fat kid version of myself, like, at 11 years old or something. And uh, yeah, I was saying all these kind of affirmations to him, you know, in the EMDR process. You know, you're going to be okay. You're smarter than you think you are. You're going to have friends. You know, y- your life is going to turn out all right. And I'm, I'm saying kind of all these affirming things to my 11-year-old awkward fat kid self. And, and my therapist is like, you know, everything you're saying is good, but I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing any love out of you. There's no love. And then just... Like subconscious, like like you talk about, just like oh, he, he was a young, soft, vulnerable kid, and I hated him. Just out of my mouth, like like knee jerk. Well, of course I don't love him. He's a fat piece of shit. Right. And then the tears just like all right, we got some work to do. Yeah. Processed it, and I was able to make peace with that young kid. I was able to, and I'm still, I'm actually working on younger childhood memories right now with my current process. Um. And working on some reparenting stuff, really focused around my father and grandmother. That's, that's like a like a story in of itself. But I just wanted to interject and say that you keep going and you do like like it's really odd. But but there but you have like this inner wisdom that comes out and does know how to integrate and to love that kid. It just happens like over time. It might not be instant, but but that, that's what's weird about EMDR is it gives you the tools to do. And that. I had this like, moment in there. Where I leaned forward to the soft kid and was going to tell him I loved him. And I went, don't you fucking lie to him. Yeah, that's like, good. That's like, good. Like, that's good. He's already been beat up enough. He doesn't deserve your, yeah. your petty don't lies. Love him. Don't love him, yeah. Um, don't love yeah. him until you do. Right. So, based on some of my wife's experience in doing that and what was really freeing to her, I think kind of dealing with what that idea of fix looks like is, is interesting and I think it does come back to some of what John's saying about loving but I think part of it is too is you were in shitty situations in a shitty culture mm-hmm. and so part of it's not just love but also giving yourself the freedom that you know what you did what you had to do the empathy, right? Right? Like, yeah, you're the little fucking Mowgli who figured out how to, like, live in the goddamn jungle. And and you know what? That that was traumatizing, but I'm not that person anymore. Like, you defended me and took it and created defenses and waited for the time that you could, like, tell me you were in there again. And clearly that's now. And, like, not just love him, but thank him for it. Like, you went through shit, but, like, we're okay now. And that level of defense isn't required anymore. Yeah. Like, A, I'm more mature. Like, I can... Who who we are now, and I like the we thing. Because, like, it's not somebody else, right? right? Like, it is, 
<laughs> together. Like, yeah. we, you did me a favor, mm-hmm. and you took one for the team, and that was awesome. And you did the best you could with the tools you had available. Yeah. But we're not there anymore. And my wife had a really big part of like, she had a really big moment where it's like that that broken little girl that she had to face. She had to show her like, look at my life now. Like I have this husband who loves me. I have these kids, and they're awesome. And and what happened to you? Like it it hurts me to this day because you're still hurt and broken. But you don't need to be. Like we made it, and like things got better. And not everything's perfect, but we're dealing with it at a different level now. Yeah. And like affirming the reality that that was okay. The tough part in that, and again, so like all of this is fucked up, and I'm <laughs> very aware that it's fucked up, and and so. And part of it, it's just going to be a fucking mess for a while. Sure. Um, no, it can take time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, there was, you know, the part of me that hates that little boy was like, well, we kind of stuck this kid in a cage, and then we built her life, and it's pretty nice. So he'd be better if he just stayed in the cage, or maybe even better if he just died. Like, like the 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 pragmatic and humane thing to do would just be to put a bullet in his brain and just get rid of him. Like, that's how much... Like your dead children's story. Right. Yeah. No, you don't get well, to Alan Turing him. Right. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I want. <laughs> that's what... There's some part of you... That's, what, that's what some part of me wants. Yeah. Is... is so what, what part of you now is ashamed of that part of you? Like, why isn't the story like, no, you did take... Like, what I was describing, like, why is the part of you now judgmental of him then? Judgmental of him then, yeah. Uh, just because it remembers the paint, mm-hmm. yeah. That's yeah. Just that's all it's got. And and it was like, and it because that little soft boy would just take over. And it was like, like I had it, I had this under control. This was going well, and then you fucking showed up and ripped the wheel on my hand so and wrecked, and wrecked the car. Yes, and you now. wrecked and you wrecked the fucking car, and you did it over and over and over and over again. And I put you in a fucking cage and just fucking stay in there. You need to hear him, mm-hmm. yeah. He's still got something yeah. to say, some expression. Because that was the other thing. My wife had to let her little child speak. Yeah. It had to have a voice before it would accept. And it sounds like. You don't want to listen. No, you gotta. Get <laughs> I don't. And that, that was the feeling. Yeah, and that was why I panicked, and that's why I kind of freaked out. Was I don't know that I can. I can't even. You know, there's nobody to lie to. I can't lie to myself, <laughs> and I can't fake this. Right? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's not. I can't put on a mask against myself because there's me just going like, yeah, that's bullshit. And it's cool you resisted the lie, right? Yeah. Like. Because you're not there yet. Right. No, I'm not. But what's funny is you think it's going to take a long time, and I don't. It might not. Because, yeah. uh, like, there's just a couple it just there's feels just like, a couple pins that get pulled out, it fe- and the whole thing collapses. It feels like it's going to take a long time because it feels like such a huge distance right now. Right. Like, it just feels like... Like, I'm an engineer, and I'm used to looking at problems and seeing the path appear. I'm looking at this problem. I don't see a fucking path at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this isn't yeah, so, no, that, no. that engineering part of your brain isn't the part that gets to build a bridge. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no so, problem. yeah, it's like, fuck. Yeah. What, was, what was the rest of the week like? Did it unearth things? It awful. Did you have any realizations? It's been a terrible fucking week. Because, because, <laughs> because, it's been awful. Because often that, 
that's what will happen in EMDR is, is you start a process and it just starts unearthing things. Like stuff just comes up. I, I journal a lot throughout the week yeah. I'm in therapy. Like Mostly I've just been active and measurable. Mm. But no insights per se? Just not really, which is kind of unusual for me because I usually go straight to insights. But no, it was just... What's that look like right now, day to day? Like, are you wallowing in like... I've almost had panic attacks a couple of times. Uh-huh. So last night, I worked a really long day, which in, right, I was sitting there at my presentation that I was supposed to give, thinking like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am inches from going over the fucking edge right. and just feeling that stuff. And, and I just knew in that moment, like, I got to distract myself. Like, somebody talk to me now. I'm going to go find someone to talk to. Because if I sit here for two more seconds and think about this shit, I'm like, I'm going to fucking yeah. lose it. I really am. Like, and I, I'm, I do not have a history of panic attacks. That's not something I deal with. Uh, and, I mean, like, here and there when things have been really bad, but not, like, just sitting around and all of a sudden, like, <gasps> fuck, like, yeah. like, here it comes. <laughs> and, yeah, so, and I'm a fucking, like, I'm sick. My throat's all scratchy. I got a huge fucking knot in my neck. I haven't been sleeping well. Work has just been a fucking shitstorm. EMDR has been awful. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're laughing on Thursday right, night. Right. Yeah. And I really needed this. EMDR is one of those things where it can get worse before it gets better. Yeah. yeah. I've been that's like, that's what everybody said. And I was like, ah, maybe it won't. And they're like, fuck! It did! <laughs> well, it feels really bad. It feels... Yeah. I was not expecting... Rip the scabs off. I was yeah. not... The biggest surprise is I was not expecting to have it to have to take willpower to go back. I was expecting some, at least some little bit of level of excitement. Of you all. thought you were on board. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, and then like, you saw the other side and you're like, oh, I don't want to go back there. And then I got a feeling without any anesthesia and I was like, fuck, I don't... I don't know. Maybe I'm not on board. Yeah. Maybe I don't want to do this. I'm paying money to be punched in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're like that woman who starts delivery with birth. Right. And exactly. you're like, I'm going to do it without drugs. <laughs> nope. Nope. Give me the drugs. <laughs> Give me the drugs. <laughs> then it takes like 45 minutes for them right. to get everything together. Yes. Like, mm. yes <laughs> but yeah, Derek, I had, a, I had a similar experience in EMDR uh, as I look for a beer. No. Um... <laughs> The, where I, I saw uh, uh, myself, I, I didn't have screens either, like the screen thing is, is funny. I, I, like everything was kind of happening in front of me and I was a, sort of like a ghost watching all of this shit unfold in front of me. And so there was a scene where I'm sitting on the porch of the motherfucker who molested me waiting for him to get home from school. I remember telling him that. And, and I'm like, and, and, that was the, and that was a similar feeling. So what do you feel, Russ? That stupid motherfucker. What the fuck is he doing? To the I basically had the opposite of what your wife experienced, where your wife is like, yeah, well, we went through that and everything was good. I'm like, we went through that and you fucked everything up. And I went to fucking jail and I was almost dead. I fucking drank myself to death once. I did a shit ton of pills and fucking meth and crack cocaine because you had to fucking wait and go back in there with, to have that motherfucker give you some value. Like, I, I hated him. I hated him, man. Because oh. that was the moment. That was like, oh, that, dude, that kid on that porch. Oh, yeah. It was just it, everything. Just if it were not for that. It felt a burning fucking hatred. If it were towards, not for that. Yeah, towards me, Damn. you know. And I think over time... Susan really yeah you ever see those like these shows and movies and shit like that where where they're telling a story Lost I think really started this kind of storytelling where they're telling a story and then all of a sudden they're no longer on the deserted island where they're you know like survivor and they're making campfires all of a sudden they're going into that person's backstory oh sure 
And she goes, what about that little kid's backstory? That yeah. kid you hate so much. Why was Are you he thinking about his? Yeah. Why, why was, was he on the, was he on the porch in the first? Why was he looking for a shred of fucking value from someone? Right. He wouldn't eat as some kind of male father figure, and you're, and you're, and you're mad at him, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, and that's what broke me. Like I just started bawling. Like, yeah. And then I started to have some empathy, but it took it took a little while. It took it took a couple fucking weeks to to really. Gain in, in empathy, and not just not just little me, but then there's teenage me, who went to see a counselor about his low self esteem. You know, it was the '80s, so that they kind of pegged me with, "Oh, Russ has low self esteem. That's why he's not doing good in school, right?" And so they pumped up my self esteem, and I and I was really mad at that counselor because I felt like she just made me a really confident criminal and predator. You know, uh, I laugh, but. I hated that kid too, and I had to fucking process that because he he was just arrogant and angry, and then and then it's like, well, what about his backstory, right? Because like, he needed for survival. Yeah, know, like. yeah. I mean, look how smart you were, and not just that, but that counselor telling you that, yeah, you did some stupid shit, but you were confident, and that might have saved your fucking life, you know. Uh, so. I don't know, buddy. Like if that, if that, <laughs> but that's I feel you, man. I'm so resonating with what you're saying because I hated me too. When we started, that little kid, me, I just like reeling, like uh, just fucking filled with this. But yeah, the backstory of that kid, maybe something. To There's mind, always the backstory. Know. That's what you have to have the compassion on. And know. she led me through that. Susan kind of led me into the backstory. Let's let's talk about his backstory. Can we do that? And I'm like, okay, you know, and because I didn't even want to do that, but that's kind of what the therapist. I mean, that's good in shamanism. They would say the spirit, fucking leader or whatever, you know, leads you into a place of, okay, well, what about the backstory? There's like a facilitation that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we started this this podcast project, I mean, I I came in having so much disdain for evangelicalism and my evangelical history. Like, just anger, animosity, and that's gone. Now, what I'm working on is... You gave the backstory? Oh, there's a huge backstory. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, the backstory's, like, the huge backstory to that. Like, why I needed it. No, I meant in evangelicalism. <laughs> well, the, but, but, but the, 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 there's a reason, like, like why it was there, and it served it, and that, that's why I was able to make peace with, is, is the ways that it served me. The ways that it helped me, the ways mm-hmm. that it it filled some gaps when my father died, uh, it, it it gave me some meaning, some uh, it gave me a sense of purpose, it, it gave me friends, it, it gave me some kind of validation, it gave me some kind of I, <laughs> some of the where I think it served me like in a survival sense, maybe not in a good way. It gave me <coughs> certitude, you know, yeah. um, and I made peace with that. And what I'm kind of working on, in at least with that stream of, of my process is the craters that it left me with and kind of the gaping yeah, holes. Yeah. Like, I, I peace with it. Scars and wounds. Right? Yeah, big time. Big yeah. time. So, so it's like, I don't have... The war is over, but everything's still... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, but, but yeah. that was, that was huge put for me. Berlin back together. I mean, you guys remember what I was like. I mean, like, even before we started recording, I mean, you guys knew, like, angry. I was really angry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had trouble even, like, there were some weeks I had trouble being in the, in the same room with Steve. 
mm-hmm. like for a while. Like, fuck that guy. He's a fucking evangelical. <laughs> you know, like I, I did. I mean, I'll just be honest. Like, yeah. and I love Steve. You know, I consider him a friend. He, he, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a sweetheart. You didn't really know him before that either. So that's true. But, <laughs> but I knew he was evangelical. So fuck him. No, I, I, but I think I accused you at you that time of being a religionist. Religionist, yeah, like a racist, but oh yes, he did. <laughs> and yeah, oh, and, and that's an interesting philosophical point. Like, like not to go too far off it, but but Most that people are. Well, well, because because my religion. my 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 pushback to Derek is when he said that was something like, well, people can't choose their skin color, but they can choose their religion. And Derek's response is something like, "Really?" And that's a fair question because, like, <laughs> can they? <laughs> because yeah. most people believe the religion that's around them that they grow up with, and and it's so ingrained, and you're so conditioned, yeah. and it, and and that's that's a fair pushback to that. And, and so, yeah, um, I through EMDR, I made peace with my Christian history and, and my upbringing and my evangelicalism, where I, I I see how it served me, I see how it helped me, I see my backstory and why I needed it, mm-hmm. and I, I have a lot of peace with it. Again, there's there's scars and there's craters that, right. that, that it left me with, and that's just who I am, but I, but I don't have the anger anymore. Right. And that alone is worth the price of admission. That alone for me is, is worth a year of therapy. Um, and I worked hard to, to get to that place. So... Um, so it's it's amazing therapy for making peace with those parts of yourself. Right. I think the the biggest takeaway that was so hard was the realization that I hate myself, but like the reality of I hate myself. Because I could have told you, yeah, I probably hate myself. So it's like the difference between seeing starving kids on TV and then going somewhere where they're starving kids and seeing it and like... Oh fuck! Really grokking. I hate myself. Like that's so yeah, and yeah. just the ugliness of the reality of that was just so earth-shakingly horrific. It's like the difference between knowing and believing. Right. Right. Exactly. Like yeah. Like this is. I know not, starvation exists, and then you're like fuck. witness and believe it to its depth. Or or some idea, you know, some abstract, right. but like when it's like palpable, where you're feeling it in your chest, like no, this is yeah. And that was the other crazy thing. Like it was, I felt it in the depth of my being. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't been that deep in a long time, and in, in contact, and to feel hatred coming out of that was mm-hmm. just yeah. Oh, it's just stomach churning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So therapy. You feel the depth. <laughs> When's the last time you can remember feeling? that deeply about something too anything I don't I think that was part of the shock too because you cut yourself I, off right and that's I, part of that story right yeah. well I think we're really bad at, at like really feeling things deeply and I, also, I felt that here sorry to interrupt I felt that way the last time I felt like way was then that little kid was out of his cage that was the last time I felt things that deeply mm-hmm. that was scary mm-hmm. yeah yeah I felt like this so I didn't do it anymore yeah. Fear. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. pain. And it's not comfortable. No, no, no. What are you afraid of if you allow that child expression and vulnerability? Like, what do you, do you have a sense of what you're afraid of? Yeah, like, like real world consequences, like broken relationships. And, like, kind of stuffing him is somehow keeping uh-huh. everything together? Right. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Do you think that's true? Like, intellectually or like logically or. Kind of, I think it, it probably like from the deepest pragma, pragmatic level of myself. Yeah, kind of is. If you're a crybaby in this culture, 
and you're constantly getting moved by emotion and letting your emotion take over, our culture is not kind to those people. Even over here in liberal Seattle. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, do you feel like you're going to be day-to-day overly emotional if that goes that direction? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, the therapy's supposed so to go that, with that. Right? I, think yeah. that, that I think the reality is, if you really look, that's not how people live. Right. Like, <clears throat> that's maybe what like insane people live. Wow. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'm insane. There's another fear. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> well, but I'm not sure that's theology. really. Typically, that's not what people lose when they lose sanity. Right. That is that is a that is a that is EMDR is kind of like a drug. It's a state change. You're changing your mental state while you're under the influence of the bilateral stimulation. You're you're simulating REM sleep. It doesn't persist the same way. I mean, you can feel it fade now. Like, you can remember the feeling, but you don't feel it to the same depth now. Right. Like, feelings feelings don't have... Yeah, the guard, but the guard dog's back up. Yeah. He's finished his bow. I mean, there's triggers mm-hmm. for sure. And, that, you know, that's kind of how that PTSD thing works. Which, like I said, I'm not sure is the right name for that. Like... I'm not sure it's a disorder. Just right. think it is the, the way, state. It's the way we. It's the way we exist. Like you don't deal with your trauma. Like it's still there and comes back. So it has to get triggered. So I don't think you're like in dire straits of like becoming that all the time. Yeah, and it's not really a logical concern. Mm-hmm. Fear never is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. If anything, fear at its core is illogical. Illogical. Yeah. Right? It's the it. It's that that animal part of yourself that's. Tapping, you're tapping into that that place, which probably is a good I but it's beautiful, you know. Personally, I think you're in an awesome place. Yeah, did like yeah, you man. are on the cusp of tackling that. And I don't think it's going to take as long as you think it is. My wife was absolutely shocked by how quickly. I told my sister, it's mostly the surprise that's getting to me. Like I can do this again if I'm expecting this level of pain. It was, you know, it's there's nothing more painful than surprising pain. Like, oh, so, so like, you, yeah. You process, you, or, not, like, you, you debrief some with your sister. Yes. So, so her and I have been talking. That's that's really. What cool. did she have to say? Yeah. What did she say? Because she's uh, a therapist. You haven't commented on that, which I find strange. Uh, do we say Der- Derek's sister is a therapist and an EMDR practitioner? So she has some insights. To, yeah. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> she said she laughed. When I told her about my little kid, because she is exactly the same thing. Mm. Like, she hates... Like, she she had this thing where she saw her five-year-old self in a really vulnerable position. And her... Like, she had to hold herself back from putting a bullet in her head. Oh, that was damn. Her, her impulse. It was well, like a fucking killer. So we're definitely answering some questions <laughs> about nurture versus nature right now. Like, <laughs> similar psychological experiences found mid- in midlife. Yeah, all my the siblings, same upbringing. All my siblings have this. What happened in the Han household, the North Idaho? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lock up the guns if you're doing it. Yeah, and it, it, it is both of those things. It's, it's a culture we grew up in, and I also think we're just generally very sensitive, emotional people. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're put in a place that was not tolerant of sensitive emotional people right yeah so what's funny I think too and I think I've told you this before I think you're one of the most emotionally intuitive engineers I've ever met yeah which is pretty which is an awful thing for an engineer to be by the way like it's just the worst 
Like, it's much better if an engineer can't feel any of the consequences. For no, it's not, because a lot of the <laughs> other ones I know are, like, really unhealthily, like, stoic and just not stop all that down. Yeah. Yeah. But how creative. do they feel about that, Arthur? Feel fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're also uninteresting. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And that's Unless you want to talk about engineering. That's, that's what I was trying thing. to explain. I was trying to explain to you guys about the, the unfinished business uh, metaphor is that idea that just being comfortable with, with life is mundane and you die with unfinished business and then you end up haunting your, your house. Um, <laughs> so if you want to hear more metaphors, about uh, Derek's unfinished business, it's going to have to be another episode because we ain't going to solve this tonight. Yeah, well, I actually yeah, no, think we should just... shut this down because my body's starting to shut down and I'm reacting strongly to tell you all this. So, That's good awesome. night. Thanks for sharing, Derek. Yeah, thanks. We've proved that tonight. Yeah. Revolution number nine, number nine has says turn me on dead man backwards. That's a huge bitch. Number nine, number nine. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't check it out! I live with Satan, listen again. Okay. I live with Satan. How many in the audience heard that? <laughs>